Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. Well, folks, Antonio T. Smith Jr. is doing it again. He's done it again. Yes, he has giving away so much knowledge just to help you succeed, walk out of the middle class, become a multimillionaire. He is giving away his book just for you. The name of that book, The Richest Man in the Trash Can. You want to make sure you get this book. Here's why. If you are someone who is tired, frustrated, irritated, of the day-to-day schedule of waking up, going to work, going back home, going to sleep just to do it all over again, not being able to spend time with your family, you just got married, you just had kids, or you take care of your parents and you're not there to do it, this is the book for you. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? This book is free 99. Yes, you heard me. Free 99. Okay? All you for free. Yes. Free 99. All you have to do is just pay shipping and handling. That's it. $9.95 just to get your free book. This book is a life 
changer i'm trying to tell you guys everything in this book is what antonio taught myself in grace that enabled us to retire yes we are retired and we haven't even hit our 40s yet Woo! i'm just saying i got a few months to go don't worry about it Shh, don't nobody need to know that girl <laughs> you don't look it that's it go get it Go get it and walk yourself out of the middle class into the life you deserve. Walk yourself into abundance. Abundance is freedom and this book is your journey out. You can plant better. You can dominate. Hello and welcome to the Secret to Success podcast. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Miss Gabrielle with... um, Ms. Gabrielle. So, Ms. Gabrielle, give us a little bit more information about you, who you are, and what it is that you do. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so, Thank my you. name is Gabrielle. <laughs> my name is Gabrielle Chipier, and I help uh, primarily web designers, service providers, creative professionals. Um, I help them build sustainable and profitable businesses so that they can stop that cycle of undercharging and overworking and really attract the best clients, charge what they're worth, and really fall in love with their work again. Okay. So the questions that I have for you today, I have a few, I have a few of our, you know, standard questions, and then I have some questions outside of that. So my first question for you is how did you get into business? Oh, that's funny. I like to call myself an accidental entrepreneur. So I never wanted to be an entrepreneur growing up. Uh, I came, I was raised by a single mom. My sister and I were raised by a single mom who was an entrepreneur and she had a number of different businesses as we were growing up. And being a single mom in the 80s and 90s, um, there wasn't a lot of options for her. So my sister and I were kind of raised by a litany of babysitters and nannies and family members. And my mom was always working. And I mean, we didn't have a hard life by any means. She did a very good job of providing for us, but she was just always gone. So as I grew up, I kind of equated that to being an entrepreneur. So I said, oh, God, I'm never going to be a business owner. I don't want that for my family. And so I started my path to become a graphic and web designer. And my whole aim was just to, you know, work for other companies. I was going to work my way up the ladder. I was going to eventually become like a creative director. That was my goal. So I went to school for that. And after I graduated, uh, that's what I did. I started working for various companies here and there, um, always working my way up, getting, you know, new raises, new positions, and was really doing good for myself. And then when I was about 24, I was headhunted by Shell Canada. And they gave me an offer I could not refuse. <laughs> so they wanted to hire me to be in their online learning department because they were moving from in-class learning to online learning. They had a whole bunch of, you know, Gen Xers and millennials coming in and this in-class learning just wasn't working for them anymore. So I, of course, said, absolutely, yes, I will totally work for you for this ridiculous amount of money. And they said, well, there's one catch. You need to be an incorporated company in order to be a contractor with us. I said, oh, okay. So I begrudgingly tromped down to the registry office and opened a business so that I could accept this contract. And that was basically it for my my business experience was just opening one. And then I worked with Shell for about two and a half, three years. And I got pregnant with my first son. 
So I realized as I was getting closer and closer to my due date that I had no support system in place because in Canada, if you're a contractor, if you own your own company, um, there's very little in terms of employment insurance or maternity leave. You're kind of on your own. So I had my first son and I kind of had a choice. I could either go back to corporate or I could do something with this business that I had. You know, I was like, well, I've got this business anyway. I might as well do something with it. So I decided to stay home and raise my kids and do freelance graphic and web design from home. And so that kind of started my business journey. <laughs> it was really a crash course from that point because for the first six years, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, absolutely not. And I made every mistake in the book until about, it was about six years after I opened. And I realized that I had completely stagnated. Like I had set these goals year after year after year and had never hit them, had never met any of them every single year. And I had basically gotten to the point where I needed to either double down and really commit to owning a business and being a business owner, or I had to close my doors and become a nine to five because I just couldn't continue doing what I was doing. And then I started doing just that. I took all of that business courses and learning and I really started to become a real like but grown-up business owner and started seeing really <laughs> big changes in my business at that point I like tripled my revenue in one year I actually started hitting those goals that I made and I started working a little bit less in my business so that I could actually spend time with the kids that I started the business for right. and now that's well, kind of left me here <laughs> Well, congratulations on a successful crash course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 10 years later, here you are. So congratulations, definitely. Thank you. So my next question, because um, being an entrepreneur, you learn different things. You learn different tricks and different tips. Well, as you're growing. So what have you learned about how creative solopreneur businesses differ from traditional business models? And two-fold question, and can you break down solopreneur for us? Absolutely, for sure. So I guess the first part we can kind of uh, classify and categorize a solopreneur. So I talk a lot about service providers, solopreneurs, creative professionals, but really their one common factor is that they're trading their time and their skills for money. So their product is not a physical product. They are their own product. They're essentially selling themselves. And there's a little bit of a disconnect between the a lot of the business advice out there because it's all aimed towards businesses who have more things to leverage. And it really comes down to leverage in your business. And the way I see it is that a traditional business has four things that they can leverage, kind of four resources. They have uh, money, they have people, they have time, and they have energy. And these four things kind of turn into, you know, your employees, they turn into investments, they turn into, you know, um, the time factor is, you know, your time to launch, time to, you know, sell, all those kind of things. But when you're a solopreneur or a service provider, you really only have two reliable resources to leverage, and that's your time and your energy. There's very little uh, people leverage, and there's very little money leverage until you get to a certain part where you're 
more sustainable and more profitable. So it really comes down to identifying how you can get the most out of your time and how you can get the most out of your energy because that's really what you're playing with on a day-to-day basis. And I just did a big video on my Facebook page here the other day about how you can really properly leverage the time and energy so that you can get more out of it every single day and every single week. But really, that's the main key differences that I've learned. Okay, so as as a solopreneur, (laughs) how do you leverage your time and leverage um, your energy? Right. So, I mean, time is the big one, right? I mean, when you're working with clients and the projects that you're working on, take your time. Time management and productivity becomes really, really crucial. And Mm -hmm. I see that with the rise now because as more people get into this online space and start businesses and start becoming service providers, time management and productivity hacks are everywhere. Like you can't throw a stone without hitting a blog all about time management. (laughs) And, uh, Really, it comes down to what works best for you. And the two things that have really worked best for me, the first one is being really, 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 um, well, anal really is what it comes down to about my schedule and my calendar. And it used to be that I would look at a calendar and see a whole bunch of things on it and get really overwhelmed. And I'd be like, oh, my God, I have so many things to do. But then I kind of swung to the opposite end, and I realized that if something wasn't on my calendar, if something wasn't scheduled in, it didn't get done. And that was everything from my client projects to my, you know, self-care time and my family time. So I started getting really, really aggressive with scheduling everything into my calendar that I could. So I start with putting in the most important thing. So that's like the me time. That's like my meditation in the morning and that's like my journaling and that's my, you know, my family time in the evenings when I shut everything off and focus on my kids. And then that's like my sleep, right? I literally have to sleep <laughs> on my calendar <laughs> because if it's not it's there, I'll just be like, oh, well, I can just do this other thing, right? Because, you know, I've got this block on my calendar. So once you kind of have all of the the really important things, the things that kind of support you, then you can start plugging in all the rest of the business-related stuff, right? So you can time block, um, you know, this is the time from 9 till 10 that I do my writing. And this is the time from, you know, on Tuesdays I take all my client calls. And, and then when you start blocking these pieces of time, you're actually a lot freed up because you don't sit there and go, well, what do I do now? You know, you're like, okay, well, that's on my calendar, and this is what I'm doing now. Let's run with it. So that was the first big thing that really helped me with managing my and leveraging my time. And then the second one was time blocking specific tasks, like like-minded tasks together. So a lot of the time, we lose time between context switching. So we switch from email to writing to, you know, coding or designing, right? And we're going back and forth. And especially when you're a solopreneur, you're kind of wearing all of the hats in your business, right? So you're probably doing Mm -hmm. your accounting and your finances and your admin stuff too, right? So, Mm -hmm. and every time we switch back and forth between tasks, we're actually losing that focus and we're losing that productivity. So when you uh, bundle a bunch of like tasks together, so I do, you know, like I said, all of my writing in the morning. I do a big block of time on Mondays where I just answer emails and I just do all those little tiny things that would take up like five minutes and I just want to get them off the plate. So I just have like my, my miscellaneous chunk of time. 
And then in the afternoons, that's when I do all my heavy lifting, my coding work and my design work. So when I'm kind of grouping that together, I know that the tasks are going to be similar, but it's not so restrictive that I'm like, okay, well, I'm working on client X project at 9 to 10 and then client Y project from 10 to 11. It's just grouping the types of tasks together. So that's the second way that I've really managed to leverage my time. And then on the energy side of things, this really is a big topic, especially for solopreneurs and entrepreneurs who have been doing it long enough that they realize that their energy level is really crucial to how they show up and how they perform and how productive they are. So it really comes down to self-care. I mean, it's a really hot topic because we're realizing just how important it is. And I was always the one who put myself last for the longest time. You know, I would take care of my family. I would take care of my house. I would take care of my clients. I would take care of my business. And then whatever was left over, I would take that for me. But that always left me on the verge of burnout. I went for about four years where I was probably one bad day away from a meltdown. <laughs> it was not fun to live in that state, really. <laughs> I was stressed out to the nines. And everybody around me felt it. I felt it. And finally, I was just like, I, I can't do this anymore. So I started focusing on those simple things that really just maintained my energy levels. And for me, the biggest one is sleep. I need a lot of sleep in order to maintain my energy <laughs> levels. But it comes down to other things like, you know, your nutrition, your exercise. Are you getting, like, some fresh air every day? Do you have time to do, like, your hobbies? Do you write or paint or read or knit? You know, are you making sure that you have that little bits of time? Mm -hmm. And I always liken it to everybody always says, oh, it's like a gas engine, right? you got to keep your engine full of gas, your gas tank. But it's all about the threshold we have for keeping our tank full. And I remember uh, an old boyfriend of mine when I was young, his dad used to always, as soon as his gas tank hit halfway full, he was beelining to the gas station to fill it up. And it always perplexed me. I was like, well, you still have half to take a gas. Why, do you, why are you going to fill up? And he said, well, that's just my threshold. That's my threshold of when I need more gas so that I always have at least half a tank. And I was like, oh, okay, then whatever. And then it never really made sense to me until a couple of years later when I realized that our threshold we've got it at like empty. When we're getting close to empty, that's mm -hmm. our threshold. And we're like, oh, now we need to do all of these things to take care of myself. But when we set that threshold at like half a tank, and when we start getting to that half a tank level, and that's when we realize that that's when we need to like do some energy top up activities and some self care, then we really move that needle because we're never in that burnout phase. And even when we're getting low, we still have half a tank of energy. Okay. Now, I have heard the half the half tank rule before. My aunt told me years ago, and I never, I didn't catch it then like you. I didn't catch it until a couple of years later, but I've never thought of it the way you just put it. As far as your personal tank, raise your threshold so once you get there and you go and you refill, you still have half a tank. So. Thank you for that. That, that. that put a different perspective on it for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, no worries. And it is. It's one of those things where you kind of get it conceptually, but then once it clicks, you're like, oh, I get it now, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I have it. So with you scheduling, with you keeping your energy up, with you uh, raising your threshold for your energy, not waiting until it's on E, 
with these scheduling blocks. And as a parent who is an entrepreneur, solopreneur, how do you how do you manage the time for family as well as sleep, self care, and work? Yeah, so it really comes down to that scheduling. And this is really hard, especially when a lot of us parents tend to work at home as well. So there's some very blurry lines in between work and personal life. And the biggest thing for me was getting a room that was dedicated completely to business. So I have an office. It's a separate room with a door. I can close it. I can be in work mode when I'm in my office. And then when I'm out of my office, then I know that, like, that's family time and I have to be there with the kids or taking care of the house or spending time with my husband. So that, like, physical demarcation is really helpful. And also, I mean, we all talk about this whole work-life balance thing. And I think it's kind of a myth, to tell you the truth. Um, there was that one book called Lean In that was so um, inflammatory when it first came out. And it was all about there are times when you have to lean into your business and there are times when you can lean out and lean into your family. And I think I'm more along those lines of things. Like my kids know that there are some days where mom's got to work, right? And there are some days where mom is like 100% there, you got me, right? But we just have trying to make that a little bit balanced as much as we can, but knowing that there's going to be some give and take, some lean-ins and some lean-outs, I think that's really key at not trying to obsess about making it perfect. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I, um, I've always I've, – I've, when I first started working with Antonio, I had a newborn, and – as he got older, Antonio actually saw the frustration in me because I was like, I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that. And so he t- and he told me the very thing he just said. He said, you don't balance, you incorporate him. And when I started learning how to incorporate him, I started learn- I started seeing the difference between how he responded to me and how I responded to him. So until I was able to, like you said, separate this particular room goes here, and so when I'm in here, this is work. And when I'm out here, until I was able to do that, I used to, if I'm sitting at home working on a project and he would walk over, I would sit him on my lap and we would go, I would actually literally just go over the keys on my laptop with him. Like, okay, so this is A, you know, and then once he was done spending time with mommy, he would slide off my lap, go on about his business. And so now if I'm teaching a class, I'd be like, hey, mommy's teaching a class. So... And he'll be like, okay, mommy, I know what to do. And he'll go into his own space, and then he'll come in and say, mommy, you finished? But it took it took a while for me to understand that. And, and just like you said, the the book Lean In, when I when I was first told you can't balance, I'm like, well, what do you mean you can't balance? So thank you so much for <laughs> giving us giving us tips on how to do that as well. Mm-hmm. And you know what, and what really worked well with me for my youngest son, my oldest son was more, he was way more independent. He was like, I'm doing my thing. I've got my craft. I've got my books. Like he, he can read for hours by himself. He's totally cool. But my sec, my youngest son is really like he wants, he's a mama's boy. He wants to be in my lap. He wants to be hanging off my legs. He wants to be with me all the time. So when I realized when he was not in school that he really, like, that's what he needed. He needed just to be with mom all the time. 
So what I did was in my office, I created a little like cozy spot for him. I got him like a beanbag chair and a bunch of like blankets and pillows and stuff. And he could curl up in this little spot and hang out with me in my office. And, you know, we'd just be like, okay, mom's on a call right now. It's time to be very, very quiet. (laughs) And you just got to kind of like roll with it, right? Because I was, it took me a while to figure out exactly what he needed because I was so used to my oldest. My oldest was just like, I'm going to do my thing. And, but my youngest was just a completely different animal. Yeah. So that that learning how to do that, that worked out perfect in so with so with that, with being the solopreneur, the parent, starting a business that you never wanted to be an entrepreneur to begin with, being open for ten years, how how did you build a referral only business that tripled your revenue? Ah. Well, that I had to well, the first step to that is getting over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> For the longest time, and this is kind of a product because I came from like that graphic design background, I just wanted to create cool stuff. I wanted to work on the cool projects. I wanted to make the pretty things. I just wanted to do the work itself. I didn't want to do all of the business stuff that came along with it. And when I realized that I had to do that business stuff in order to um, keep doing my fun project stuff, I realized that I had to kind of get over my fear and hesitation around sales and promoting myself. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I didn't have any money for a marketing budget or an advertising budget by any means. But I did have a lot of really, really good clients and ones that really loved working with me and came back over and over and over again. So I was able to realize that a couple of my clients kept sending me new clients. And that was how I was kind of growing really slowly but surely. And I realized, okay, well, there's no way that I can spend any money on marketing, no way I can do any sort of advertising, but this referral thing seems to really be working out. And it dawned on me one time. I had uh, a new client came and we had a conversation. I said, oh, how'd you find out to meet me? And she said, oh, Carol sent me. And I realized that my client, Carol, had sent me almost 10 new clients in one year. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this woman loves me. Like, what did she do? Take out a billboard? Like, she's (laughs) sending all of these people my way. I was like, and I didn't realize, and I hadn't even thanked her for it. So I realized at that point, I was like, okay, these referrals are big for my business. So, one, I have to figure out a way to make them more consistent. So rather than getting a referral on accident, that it was a little bit more purposeful, and then how to both tell my clients that I was free and open and available for referrals and to reward them for doing so so that they kept doing it. So first things first, I bought Carol a giant thing of flowers and sent it to her and said, thank you so much for sending me all of these clients. And then I just started to ask. So the very first part, I just started to ask, hey, Uh, did you know that I'm available for referrals? These are the type of projects that I'm working on right now. Would you happen to know anybody who could, you know, uh, benefit from working with me? And I just consistently asked after that. So the key part is kind of asking at certain times in like a project cycle. So typically in like a, a typical graphic or web design project, you get started and you do the planning kind of phases. And then you'll do like the design phase, and then you'll do like the development phase or like final kind of creation phase. And then there's like the wrap up phase. 
So I identified these phases and I just inserted an ask at every single point in the process so that it just became part of my projects. So once we, you know, first signed up and we got started, I'd say, hey, that's awesome. I'm so excited to work with you. By the way, do you know of anybody else in your circle that, you know, is looking for the same kind of thing? And then we get through the design phase and I'd say, oh, I'm so happy you love your design. It was such a fantastic thing to work on with you. By the way, do you know of anybody else who you think could benefit from these amazing design skills that you now see I have? And then I just repeated that throughout every single project I worked on and just consistently asked. So the life cycle of an average project, I probably asked a client four or five, maybe six times if they had anybody to refer. And the good thing about this is that we forget, right? We have to be exposed to however many instances of a message in order for it to really click with us. So that Mm -hmm. repeating of the asking really got me great results because the next time that they were talking to someone who they happened to know that needed a web designer or needed a graphic designer, they would say, oh, by the way, I know Gabby and she has, uh, you know, she's done amazing work with me and I think she would be perfect for this project for you. And it would be just, I'd be at the top of their mind. And it's also kind of taking advantage of this kind of human tendency. We really like to be that person who's seen as like influential and has like, you know, tabs on people in our industry and all that. So how good do you feel when someone might say on Facebook or say in a conversation says, oh, I'm really looking for, you know, a plumber or, you know, someone to help me with this project. And it makes you feel really good when you're like, oh, my gosh, I've got the perfect person here. They do amazing work. You'll love them. It kind of gives you a bit of an ego boost, right? Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, so you're kind of taking advantage of that, and you're almost kind of doing them a favor because next time they're getting into that conversation with someone, they have the perfect person that they can recommend. Mm-hmm. So when you look at it like that way, it kind of takes that hesitation away. It's not like icky sales. It's not pushy. It's You're just kind of facilitating connections and facilitating um, the rise of the status of your clients. And then once you get over that, then it's just a matter of putting in the processes in place, making sure you're asking all the time, and then offering incentives that are aligned with your business so that you can reward your clients for giving you referrals so they keep doing it. Now, the big thing with this one is to make sure that it's aligned with what you do in business. Like some people will say, oh, I'll give you like a $100 Amazon card or something. But I mean, most people could care less about a $100 Amazon card, especially if they're, you know, doing a million dollars in business a year, right? <laughs> right? So what I started doing, right? So what I started doing was just offering um, discounts on my services. So let's say if you refer mm-hmm. one client to me, your next project is 25% off. If you refer five projects to me or five clients to me, then your next project is 50% off. And then once they sent me 10 clients, I offered them free maintenance for life on their website. Because the actual amount of work that I would do on a website maintenance for the lifetime is probably a lot less than the amount of revenue 10 new clients would bring to my company. Okay. Yeah, and through just using those, I was able to rapidly grow my business in just a couple of years. So you learned the one thing that Antonio teaches us around here, go for the ask. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, you have to really get over that hesitation to sell. 
because we feel like we're putting upon someone, but really it's not. And I remember there was one time I created this automation in my business and it was a a follow-up sequence that was supposed to uh, connect with people who had asked for, you know, project quotes or proposals and stuff. And basically it was just designed to, to keep top of mind and to try and get to a yes or a no faster in the process. So I sent up all these emails and it was supposed to send like one email every, I think, four or five days for like three weeks until they either said yes or no. And then about four days later, after I hit play and put it live, I started getting all of these emails from my clients. And they were like, oh, yeah, don't worry, we'll get back to you. You know, we're just checking with management or no, I don't think it's a, a right fit for us at this time. So, you know, we'll, we'll check back in with you for a year and blah, 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 all these responses. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then this one email came from a client and it said, Gabby, we're working on it. We're just finalizing the details on our end. You don't need to email us every single day. Oh, and I went, oh, what? (laughs) (laughs) I frantically went back to this automation that I had set up and there was one setting on this new tool that I missed and it was sending out all these emails every single day for five days and I was mortified of course I said oh my gosh I'm so sorry you know I didn't mean this to happen I didn't really want to bug you every single day (laughs) and then I got a response back from one of my other clients and he was a sales manager at a car dealership and we were in talks doing a project for him and he immediately responded back and he said Gabby don't you ever ever apologize for following up and asking for the sale that's mm. the only thing that will bring you forward in business. And don't you ever apologize for trying to be a good business owner. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, clears that up. <laughs> okay, right? And the thing was, was that um, of all of these people that got sent, like, you know, 30, not 30 emails, that's an exaggeration. They sent like five or six emails. None of them thought any less of me or hated me because of it. They might have been mildly annoyed wondering why I was being so persistent. (laughs) But half of them ended up saying yes and going on to become amazing clients with me, right? So it did its function. It did get to a yes or a no much, much faster than even I had initially wanted it to. But it did teach me a super valuable lesson in that, Sales is not so much being pushy and, you know, being that sleamy, sleazy car salesman. It's really about getting people to make a decision one way or another. Okay. So, Ms. Gabrielle, that you have definitely given the audience an abundance of information today. And so before we close everything out, I just have one more question for you. So what do you believe your secret to your success has been? My secret to my success is that I am obsessive about the details. And that has served me so well in both what I do as a profession, as a graphic and web designer, just being really granular about all the small little things that go into big projects. But it also helps me in my business because I don't gloss over things. And I really do see all the small steps that go into like larger strategies and larger techniques so that it's not just I'm going to do this thing 
It's, I'm going to do all of these tasks underneath it. And that really helps me to be more realistic about a lot of the things in my business. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I, the not gloss over, that is something I know a lot of us need to hear because we do have a tendency to be like, yeah, you know, the big thing is done, but it's still, as Antonio has told, has told us on several occasions, it's the little things that are in between that a lot of little things build up to the big things. So definitely thank you for your secret to your success. And please let the audience know exactly where they can find you. Absolutely. So you can find me at GabrielleChipier.com. And also, if you go to SecretWeapon.club, you can grab a whole bunch of free resources, including a free audiobook version of the Secret Weapon book. Awesome. Thank you so much. So we will definitely let everyone know about that. We will, ladies and gentlemen, if you missed it, definitely check the show notes. Ms. Gabriella, thank you so much for joining us today on the Secrets of Success podcast. We're so very excited to have you. Oh, thank you so much. I just had a blast today. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. You have an amazing day today. I'm not sure if you already know this, but you're already absolutely perfect. You're already absolutely great. And you're already living in massive abundance. The most important things that you have is not what you have. It's not what you do. It's what you know. Because the people who do know what you need to know to leave the middle class, they're in the top 1%. And they control 96% of the world's income. 97% of this world is trading time for money. And that is not the way to become rich. It's not the way to become wealthy. And it is absolutely not the way to leave the middle class. There are 7.8 billion people in the world right now. And they all want to learn how to make money and how to leave the middle class. But the way to become a master at anything is to learn all the rules and then bend them to your favor. Right now in this world, there are 2,057 billionaires. Right now. So if you think becoming a billionaire is, a, is it possible, that's 2,057 people that have already proved that impossibility incorrect. And if you think that's crazy, there are 46.8 million millionaires in the world, worldwide right now. Now think about that. 46.8 million millionaires, and that number grows 1,730 millionaires every single day. Money is everywhere. You don't need to max out your credit cards. You don't need to borrow from granddad and grandma. Just look behind me. Look at all the wealth sitting behind me in this junkyard. It's insane how much money is everywhere, and you don't need to go out there and beg, bar, and steal to get it. You just need to know the rules of making money and how to leave the middle class. Essentially, all you need to know is the algorithm of making money, the rules of making money. All you need to know is what to do and how to do it, and you can leave the middle class. Any industry, yoga, golf, underwater basket weaving, clipping fingernails, it doesn't matter. All you have to do is know how to do it, how to get it done, and then find somebody to teach you how to do it, how to get it done, and you will be able to leave the middle class. If you're not getting my point, it's real simple. Whatever you have up here, as long as you understand the rules of leaving the middle class, as long as you understand how to get money, you can take what's up here and get wealthy for what you already have. Right now, the very thing you know up here is already being searched a thousand times a second on Google. Someone right now 
Actually, 1,730 people right now are gonna become a millionaire from the stuff that you have in your head. Why can't this be you? I mean, it's 1,730 people with your ideas that are no better than you, that are gonna leave the middle class, become a millionaire. Why are you not next? So how do we do this? How do we take what you know and apply it to objective money-making secrets and then allow you to leave the middle class? How do we take you from where you are and let you escape to where you wanna go? So how do we make all this money or take all this knowledge from the Warren Buffers, from Elon Musk, how do we take everything that everyone before you has done and how do we take all of that and then put it in your head so you can leave a legacy for your family. My name is Antonio T. Smith Jr. 32 years ago, I lived in a trash can. That's right, from six to 14, I had no running water, no electricity, no anything, and somehow I'm in the top 1% today. Not because I had the right background, not because I had a silver spoon in my mouth, simply because being homeless made me learn how to make money. I retired when I was 29 years old. I'm more than likely younger than you. I'm one of the top 1% income earners in one of the richest countries in the world. What I learned how to do when I was six years old was learn how to generate enough money to eat some cookies so I wouldn't die to death from starvation. From there, I learned how to go from cookies to a meal from a meal to clothes, to clothes, to shelter, to everything else that supplied my necessary needs. When I was six, I was forced to learn how to make money. And now that's what I'm gonna do and help you do. I've seen amazing results. I have my own economy. I've homeschooled my own children. And I wrote a book that teaches you every single thing that I know about making money, every single thing that other people know about making money, and most importantly, all the stuff that we don't tell you. Because the truth is, and you know it like I know it, the most honest, the most hardworking, unselfish people on planet Earth live in the middle class. Yet, your honesty, your unselfishness, your devout religion-going self is not enough to get to the top 1%, and that's not fair. The second half of my life has been not about how much money I make, but how I will be remembered from all the money that I have made. And I've been trying to teach everybody how to get out the middle class. I'm the crazy guy famous on the internet for trying to create 100,000 millionaires. I've created eight so far. I got a ninth one on the way, all the way from India. That's pretty cool. And what I want to tell you is something very simple. It's been hard. It's been absolutely hard to help people leave the middle class, not because of the people, because the system would rather keep you being someone else's money instead of you having your own economy and having the money come find and flow to you. It was frustrating because I knew that anybody can make money. And if you knew what I knew, you would change your life. Over the last few years, I built a large following of over half a million people every month that pay me to actually for me to give them advice. Well, that's been exciting for me. And the cool thing is I've created thousands of six-figure earners. I've created millionaires. I've created people who can live their dreams and hold on to their legacies. And now my eyes are on you to create you to what you need to be great. I have been teaching my principles and these principles to hundreds of thousands of people around the world, every country, 
all continents and anyone who has taken them seriously, written them down and applied them, have a 100% success rate of leaving the middle class. I've taught these secrets to my following and my inner network and I've watched them go from four figures to five figures, five figures to six figures, seven figures all the way to eight. Everything that I've ever learned Everything I've ever learned from millionaire mentors, billionaire mentors, and everything I learned from being homeless, and everything that got me into the top 1%, I have placed inside of a book. To date, it is the longest book that I've ever written, the most best book that I've ever written, and that book is called The Richest Man and the Trash Can, and I'm offering it to you today for free. This book is gonna show you how to become wealthy into the top 1% and leave the middle class. This book is gonna give you a step-by-step -step plan if you're 30 years old, all the way to 70 years old, how to get into the top 1%. If you're a teenager, how to get to the top 1%. If you're a millennial, how to get to the top 1%. It's gonna teach you how to make six figures immediately, teach you how to get to a million dollars immediately, and all that good stuff. Plus, I'm gonna give you the 36 objective laws of leaving the middle class. Plus, I'm gonna give you every last one of my secrets that have made me rich. You have to understand that leaving the middle class is the most important fight that you're gonna have in your life. And to be honest with you, it, you can kind of relate to this. It almost takes $450,000 a year just to be broke in America. And that's just in America. If you don't leave the middle class, which is actually an illusion, then you are gonna have a really hard time. Think about it for a second. Some of, most of you are gonna be watching this are gonna be baby boomers. And you've been sold a bad check. They lied to you. Your retirement was not enough for you to live comfortable. And I'm gonna give you this book for free so you can figure out how to triple your retirement and then quadruple your retirement. And then as Grant Cardone would say, 10X your retirement so you can live the life that's worthy of you. I want you to remember that leaving the middle class is the most important battle that you could ever face in your entire life, especially for your family. So consider this video, this book, your friendly tap on the shoulder. I wanna send you a free copy of this book because I believe that abundance is your birthright. I believe that abundance is freedom. And I believe that this book is right for you. In fact, I believe in that so much that I will send you the book for free. All you have to do is cover the cost of shipping. I'll eat the cost, I'll take the loss. And all you have to do is get the book and dominate your reality right now and apply the principles so you can be the best person for your life that is yours. Fill out the form sitting right there to the right. Go ahead, dominate your reality. I can't wait to send you my book. I can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to have you as someone that's been on the journey with me. Antonio T. Smith Jr., you can plan better. You can dominate. Our next guest is the CEO of a Facebook competitor. It is called MeWe. It is a next-gen social platform with a focus on privacy. The company has surpassed 5.5 million members. CEO Mark Weinstein with us now in a Fox Business exclusive. Welcome to the program, Mark. Glad to have you with us. So why the focus on privacy? You are taking advantage of Facebook's public stumbles? Well, Deirdre, I'm one of the guys who invented social networks, and it was never, social networks were never invented to be what we call now surveillance capitalism, which is what Facebook is. Their members are not customers to serve, their data to sell and data to target. So it really, MeWe is a full, fully, you know, fledged 
uh, social network with all the features people love. The privacy is a, our privacy bill of rights. We don't sell your data. We don't target you. We don't mess up your news feeds. We have a freemium business model, so everything you love is free. And you can, you know, traditional capitalism, great capitalism. You can spend money on in-app purchases, or you can just enjoy the free service. There's nothing, you know, you can't be targeted for your vote or your opinion. Um, it's social media the way it was meant to be. So then, Mark, honestly, how do you make money? Because we all know when we use Facebook, it's free for the user, but we know because we are not paying that we become the product. So that Facebook is gathering data on That's us, right. and I think some people even say Facebook isn't a social company, it's a data company. But then how do you make money? Are people paying your company for subscriptions? No, no, it's very important. MeWe is free forever. But now we know that the freemium model works, and MeWe is, we're doing great with revenue. We have 2,800 free emojis, but we've got great custom emojis, custom stickers. So live people voice, pay live you for those. A pay option. Right, and, and live voice, live video, secret encrypted chat. Uh, MeWe pages are $1.99 a month, but you reach 100% of your followers all the time. So for $24 a month, you don't have to boost anything. So if you have 500,000 followers or 5,000 followers or 10 million followers, you reach everybody. At Facebook, you reach 5%. Then you got to pay to boost, and then their algorithm messes the whole thing up anyhow. So MeWe is really true, pure social media. It's social networking done right, and people love it. Yeah, so. we're growing organically with no ads, and, and, and we're not even marketing MeWe, and we're growing by tens of thousands of people every day. So, Mark, we have some stats about your company. As you're speaking, five and a half million users right now, which is impressive. But how are you going to keep growing that? Because one telephone is not so fun. Two telephones work. Basically, you need more people to sign up. Well, people are signing up, Deirdre, every day. And here's the beautiful thing about MeWe. So we also have some major, major deals that are not announced with some huge influencers worldwide. But even without them, we grew 405%. Last year, we're targeting, you know, we actually target, we'll have over 30 million members by the end of this year, over 150 million by the end of next year. We're growing twice as fast already this year. And people also move in groups. This is really, we have never seen something like this. So constituencies move to people. So many people are censored or or blocked or violated on Facebook and they all move to MeWe so it the growth is fantastic quick question mark you say Facebook as an aside should not be broken up why is that listen we compete with Facebook great snap competes with Facebook Twitter competes with Facebook breaking up Facebook doesn't solve the problem that they are a surveillance company transacting data by the way also transacting data from non-members. They track all of us. Remember, the Cambridge Analytica CEO said they had data on 230 million adult, really every adult in America. Now, Facebook's new rules that you talked about today, that's a bunch of BS. Facebook has had rules the whole time. They break their rules all the time. That's the problem. The rules right. of Facebook mean nothing. Mark, we thank you very much for the time. Thanks for joining us. Congratulations on the growth. Thank you, Deirdre. When the pandemic began, I had the biggest problem in the world, not making money. The pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as it almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people. And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training. And I could not 
find a single person for two years to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions, $22 an hour, paid training, and I couldn't find someone, not one person, for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True, but it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter, and that's a fact. I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture and there are so many different things that you can do this summer as a matter of fact you can free up as much time as you want to but if you're not using zip recruiter you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people so what is zip recruiter what is probably the greatest job finder that's out there and that's why you need Zip Recruiter. You need it so you can find the right candidates. Now, it's not that Zip Recruiter helps you find jobs. It's more accurately that Zip Recruiter takes your culture, takes your job, takes what you're looking for, and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate. And if the if it's if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out uh, review and rate candidates four out of five employees uh, have been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter it is a blessing and no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people to sit in the right seat on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about, well, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B, all spelled the regular way. That's Zip, Z-I-P, Recruiter, R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R, ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B, and I promise you, you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.